view, and then um, everybody saw the email that I sent. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna proceed with caution. <laughs> but um, all right, let, let's read. Um, I'm gonna go right into First Corinthians. We've been reading a lot from Luke, but I'm just gonna start right off from First um, Corinthians 11. This is this this message is a, a, a byproduct of our study, our series on the book of Luke and the coming of the forerunner, and, um, and it, Luke uh, and Zechariah being chosen to enter the temple just before the coming of the, of the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. Um, there's this poor couple, the poor barren couple, which God chooses this poor barren couple um, to, to ignite the, the purposes of God, and out of their womb will come John the Baptist. And so it's a phenomenal story of um, the weak, God using the weak, and doing tremendous things for the purposes of his kingdom. And so we, we began to look at um, that Zechariah, was the, the lots were cast, and he was chosen to enter the temple and to burn incense. And so we looked at the theme of entering the temple of God, entering the temple. If we're going to see any kind of um, revival, if we're going to see the Lord do his work, all of these things are, are, are methods. We, we, we look at the scriptures to look at God's methods and ways. How does God does his work? And so Luke 1 is a wonderful way to, to show these are the things that God does just before the first coming of Christ. And so if he did it this way, God does not change. He will do it again in the same way. Not the same people, not the same circumstances, but he will do it in the same way. So we've been looking at um, entering the temple, and then from there we looked at the goodness of the house. What does it mean to enter the temple? Is to be satisfied with the goodness of the house. So let's read, let's read our passage, and then we'll... For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drink judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this precious time that you have given us, Lord. We, we commit this time, Lord Jesus, into your hands. Our desire is to grow in the knowledge and, and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire is that your purposes will be formed in us. Christ will be formed in us in a greater and greater capacity. That we would, Lord, behold you in your glory. We would be encouraged. We would be instructed in the ways of the Lord. And that we would be, Lord God, um, uh, a real instrument, Lord, in your hands um, for, for your redemptive purposes. And so we pray the Holy Spirit to come and ignite our hearts, as I speak, as we hear, let all of, it, all of it, Lord, gather all of these words, all of it, all of it. May you interpret these things to those who are spiritual. May you, O oh God, just um, really do a great work in our hearts, Father. We, we're going into some deeper waters, of, and we pray that, that, that we, you will grant us understanding. No, no, the natural man cannot, cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And so, so we need your grace. We need your equipment. We need your resources. We need your capacity. Oh, God, and, and thank, thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that, he, that is resident and active. And so bless, Lord God, our time together. Let it be profitable for the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at this idea that, that the Lord wants us to be satisfied with the goodness of the house. And 
And so we got that from Psalm. To enter the temple of the Lord is to be satisfied with the goodness of God's house. And that word house there is family. So it's not just um, some mystical presence of God. It's the family of God. The goodness of your household. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your people, your house, your household. And so we've been looking at this idea that, um, that, that each of us as children of God are an instrumental means by which the goodness of the Lord, right, the, good, the, the source of all goodness comes from God, but you become a vessel, you, become a, 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 you mediate the goodness of God to other people through your words and through your, and through your love. And so we, we've been looking, so we really, really want to understand this. We want to, God has a purpose in his house, and so we want to really understand how do we experience the goodness of his house. Now, we've spoken a lot of things, but one of the things that we landed was that in order to experience the goodness of the house, we must learn to discern the body of Christ. And so we, we began to look at this issue of discerning the body of Christ for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Eats and drinks judgment on himself. Anyone eats and drink, it's a, the idea of eating and drinking is, is communion, really, really the idea of communion. Now we have communion in the technical sense, you know, Lord's Supper, and then we have communion in the broad sense just us fellowshipping together in the presence of God. When we come together in communion and fellowship, there must be a real discerning of the body, real understanding if we're going to experience the goodness of the house. And so we, we Lord really brought me here and really began to see how we, we need to recover this. I need to recover this a discerning, a greater awareness. And, and I, I just want to give you just a couple of things, just a couple of handles. Maybe, you're, maybe or not, you may have a good idea of what this means. But I, I, I want to write down, to put it simply, right, to discern the body of Christ means two things. To discern the body of Christ. Uh, you know, at some point maybe we, we'll get into more details, but I just want to give you this just, to, just so that you can have it, you know. First, to discern the body of Christ means to come into a conscious um, awareness, right, a conscious awareness or knowledge that the church, by virtue of its union with Christ, is separate. So to discern means to separate, right, to dis make distinction. So um, I, th I, think, I think, Abby, I have a, a separate slide before that. So the first thing that, first thing, if we're going to discern the body of Christ, um, we need to um, come into a conscious awareness. You're conscious. It's not subconscious. Right? You're aware. You, there's intelligence in your awareness that the church, by virtue of its union with Jesus Christ, is separate. It's, it's, it's set apart. It, it is fantastically separate. Right? Um, and by virtue of that separateness and distinctness, it possesses a special and unique status before God, the church. Right? So, so that's the first thing, just, just an awareness that the church, because she's joined to Jesus Christ as his body, it, it, it's, it's phenomenally separate and distinct. 
Nothing can compare to her in all of all creation. And that the church enjoys special favor and privilege by virtue of that union. Does that make sense? So, so, so it's coming into awareness. And when we say church, I don't know what comes to your mind. But you got to think people. Unfortunately, language is unfortunate. That's the major language. We can abstract out. Like I say church. How many of you thought people right away? How many thought building? Right? I think of Alexandra. I think of Sue. I think of Terry. Doug, Jeff. That's what, that's what should come to your mind. People. Right away. That these people have been united to Christ, and they're separate. They're distinct, and they possess a unique status before God. So that's the first thing. So the first one is an awareness of what the people of God have, possess, by virtue of their union with Jesus Christ, an awareness, an elevated awareness. Does that make sense? And, whoa, like, we operate here. Oh, whatever. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? Praise God. God bless you. No, <laughs> it's like, bring, bring it higher. We got to bring it higher. Whew. Good morning, ambassadors. Good morning, Prince Louis. How's it going? You understand? There has to be something greater. Second of all, it's not enough to have conscious awareness. Second of all, to discern the body means to treat the body in a unique way that is consistent with that special status. Does that make sense? It's one thing to, it's one thing to realize that the church, because of her union, right, right, is special and demands special, right, right, awareness, but it also demands special treatment. There's a treatment of the church, of the body of Christ, that we need to be aware of, that, that we're, we're under obligation, right? Right, to, to do good, but especially to the house of the faith, right? So there, there, is this, there is this demand by virtue of the specialness, right, of the church because of her union with Jesus Christ so that that specialness is not inherent in the church. It's in Christ. But then once we come to, into contact with them, then I need to treat her delicately with great honor. That's why Paul says at the end in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 33, therefore, bro, when you come together, wait for one another. Honor. Wait. Right? So that's what it means. So, so when we talk about discerning the body, it's an understanding, a greater understanding and awareness of who the church is by virtue of her union with Jesus Christ and then the treatment of that body. Right? The treatment of that body. Now, so, so therefore, to, to fail to discern the body of Christ is just the same. I, I could just let me put it to you in a different way. To fail to discern the body means two things. It means to fail to discern, fail to understand, fail to recognize the value, the, the special privilege that the church has. To, to fail to come into an understanding of that. Now, I think that happens a lot. 
because I think this only happens by the power of the Spirit, right? I don't always keep that in mind. I sometimes treat you like you're just ordinary. That's a no-no. That's not acceptable at all. We, we do it, but praise God for the blood. Praise God that, that, that our sins are covered, right? But that's unacceptable before God. We need to treat each other with tremendous privilege and love. Nothing less. Amen? Can we say amen to that? Don't, don't lower to your standard. No, God is here. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So when we fail to, dis to discern her special, unique status before God, we fail to discern the body. And secondly, when we fail to treat the body of Christ, and we do that a lot, let's be honest. I do it a lot. And we can ask some questions like, what are some specific ways that we can treat the body of Christ in a way that is consistent with the church's special status? Now, let's be honest. In one sense, you will, we will never be able to treat the church with that, with exactly the worth, her worth. Does that make sense? Why? Because her worth comes from Christ, who is infinite. Will you be able to give God the glory that he really deserves? <laughs> right, there's a mystery. There's a mystery between you can offer your best, and God is more worthy of that, right? He's just more worthy of that. He's just by virtue that he's God. So if, if you never hit the bell. <laughs> Bing! There we go. Never. But he still accepts our offering. Amen? He still accepts it. Praise God. So, so I, I don't want to get to it, but, but the, re, the reality is that in, in many ways, we can never really treat the church in, the, in its fullness. But, but just practically speaking, what are some ways that we can treat the church with a certain dignity? I mean, I, I thought of the first thing that came to my mind was Isaiah 55. Hey, Denzel, I'll be there at 3 o'clock. To the church, you better be there at 3 o'clock. That our words... Our words mean what they say. No, when we speak to one another, our words would be solid. That's treating them with a dignity to say, hey, to listen, to give more attention to what the, word, to the, what the church has to say than to any other institution on the whole face of the earth. There, you know, so think about practical ways that we can treat the body of Christ in a, in a way that's more consistent with what, what she is in Christ. And then also think of ways, how do we fail? How are some specific ways? This is a, that's an easy question. But what are some specific ways that we fail to treat the body of Christ with the dignity it deserves? Putting things ahead of her. Prioritizing other things, right? Prioritizing work, prioritizing family, prioritizing, right? We could, we could easily prioritize things above. 
Leviticus is special. This is unique. The church is a thousand times more special than my own family. Does that make sense? A lot of people have trouble saying that. Like, it's the body of Christ. So that my family serves her perfectly. Does that make sense? As much as possible, right? Sometimes we have wayward kids, you know, but but we as a family serve God, the kingdom of God. That's priority. So so they all 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 these things, all these things um, are 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 important for us to consider. So Let's move on. We, when we fail to discern the body, we eat and drink judgment on our bodies. We see that in 1130. So that's why we've, we've, we, we, have, we have taken this topic seriously because it's like Paul says that that's why many of you are weak and ill. And, so and I've, I've, been caught, I've been thinking about that. Like, wow, okay, wait a minute. Time out. Is this a first century thing? It has been since you know? <laughs> Like some say, you know, no more, mo- no more miracles. That ceased. Well, no, nobody. God, God still does, of course. But has this ceased? Is still operating. And this is the first century church. This is not like, this is the first century church. This is the church that you, you just read 1 Corinthians. You know, they were not uh, perfect, but the Spirit of God was very active in that church. And so, so, so we really, we really um, are, want to know what is it, Lord? Um, is it, they are, there is weakness, there is weakness, there's illness, and some have died because of failure to discern the body. So, so we're thinking, okay, Lord, I, we want to. Is that does that explain the weakness of the American church? When you explain, when you think about the, I, I would say about the American church in general, broadly speaking, that's a good description: weak, ill, and dead, and death. That's a good description, actually. And I thought about: is it is it possible that it's because of a failure to discern the body? We all know that, according to some studies, among evangelicals, the average number of Sundays. Per month, is that discerning the? Is that a failure to discern the body? <laughs> yes, total failure to discern the body. One point three. So yeah, so we, we we so we take this topic seriously. Now, we began to ask the question last week: What does it mean to discern? And this is where we 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 had some questions. I was encouraged by that. Let's go through this quickly, and then I'm going to go into a segment. And I'm, but let's go through this. First of all, I'm not going to um, do what I intended to do today. But, but let's go through this. First of all, to discern means um, uh, is it refers to an ability. Uh, an ability. An ability re- refers to a skill. It's an ability. So, so when, you, when we talk about discernment, discerning the body of Christ, discerning, that's a spiritual ability. That's not, you know, that's something, that's not anything that exists in the natural realm. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So Paul here says that the natural person is not able to understand, right? Is not, cannot understand the things of the Spirit. So discerning of the body is only something that a true believer, someone born again by the Spirit, can, 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 can live in. Can, can exercise in. Now, Paul, Paul, makes, Paul infers that the natural person um, does, is able to come into contact with the thing, things of the spirit because 
if he says they cannot understand them, it must mean that they have come into some form of contact that, were, that they attempted to understand, right? So, so the natural person can easily come into contact with things of the Spirit of God. You could be in church, be a natural person, and God could be moving, and you're going you're gonna to try to explain them. Oh, they're just emotional, right? That, that's how a lot of people, oh, that's just emotional. They're just emotional. No. Something more than just emotion. There's emotion involved, but there's more going on behind the scenes of the emotions, right? So the natural person could be in church, and he's able to come into contact, but he just can't understand them. Cannot. It's not a matter of the will. It's a matter of the heart, and it's an issue of ability. They have no ability, no capacity to discern, to understand the things of the spirit. And then thirdly, Paul says that a spiritual person has the ability to discern all things, right? He discerns. Judges all things. The word there, judge all things, in, in, in verse um, 15 of 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things is the same word for discern. The spiritual person discerns all things, all right? Now, um, now we said, who is the spiritual person, right? So look, look at um, 1 Corinthians um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. We impart this in words. I mean, I, I, again, just to kind of reiterate. Remember I told you that the goodness of the house, that the, media, the means by which God, uh, we experience the goodness of the house, the means by which we experience it is through words, right? So this is an example of what I mean. Paul imparts this. How does he impart it? In what? How does Paul impart this? In what? In words. So don't get too crazy it's words. Words are the means by which the goodness of God will, once we begin to speak and the spirit of God is in us and we can encourage one another, we can rebuke, we can encourage, we can build up, right? We can correct, we can reprove, we can, you know, there, there's so many things that we, by the spirit of God, right? When that word that comes from heaven, when we speak that word, right, by faith, it's amazing what God does. So Paul says, we impart this not by some shebang, shumbum, shumpom, hum, you know, no, through words, right? It doesn't come hocus pocus. He just comes speaking, amen? And that's why I want to encourage every one of you, stir up the gift of God in you, amen? Stir it up. What is that, what is fundamental, what is the expression of that gift primarily? Words, words. Stir up the gift of God in you, right? Stir up the gift of God in you, amen? I believe that, you know, in a broad sense, right, we're all supposed to be prophesying. In other words, speaking God's words to one another, amen? So stir it up. Paul says, I impart this in words. But these words are not taught by, by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So we got to get to know the Holy Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So the, the Spirit of God is just interpreting stuff to those who are spiritual. The Spirit of God is not doing anything with the natural person, really. But to the spiritual, he's, he's interpreting. So who is the spiritual person? We said last week, first, first of all, the spiritual person, just to bring some clarity, what does it mean to be spiritual? We found out last week that not all born-again believers are spiritual. All right, so look at, look at um, 1 Corinthians 3.1. 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as, as what? 
spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Praise God. They're in the family. Amen? They're still in the family. So don't despise these little ones. Be get very careful. Be very careful. They're in the family. They're infants of Christ. They're, they're more precious. They're very precious to God. And so, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. In other words, you could be a brother, you could be an infant in Christ, but that does not mean that you're a spiritual person. Secondly, a spiritual person describes a believer that has passed the age of spiritual infanthood. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food. So a spiritual person apparently has gone beyond infanthood, which that's pretty kind of God, right? That as soon as you leave infanthood, it appears that you begin to form some kind of uh, spirituality. And that's, and that's very true because you think an infant really has very little awareness of the, of the world around them. But once they leave that stage of, of, of infanthood, guess what? They start to touch things. They start, they're becoming aware of their surroundings in a greater way. Amen? And so even us spiritually, there's a time for us to be spiritual infants. It's okay. But you shouldn't be spiritual infants for 22 years. You know, there, there should be a – now, obviously, we, we can't put time because it's hard to really relate, you know, right? In, in the earthly sense, how long is the infancy stage? Does anyone know? How long does infancy stage uh, last in the natural? No, shorter than that probably. One year? Yeah, probably I would say one year. So, you know, so in the spirit, is it one year? No, it could be, could be a couple of years. It could be three years maybe. But I, I doubt it's 45 years. I doubt it. <laughs> The 43 remain spiritual infants, spiritual toddler. <laughs> I doubt it. But it's, it's amazing how many people remain spiritual infants, right, in the church. 25 years in the church, infants. And so, but then thirdly, a, a, a spiritual person is no longer governed by carnal impulses and instincts. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 4, for you are still of the flesh, but while there is jealousy and strife among you. So you can see that. Uh, 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 in, in, an infant, you know, they're, they're still reacting. You know, they're still not mature. All right. So that's, a, that's our review. I want to take the next few minutes until to the end. Um, I'm going to introduce an, a new segment. Um, I, th so there were some questions last week, and I, I thought I'm going to, um, I'm going to, um, This is a maybe. Th maybe this could be a, a new a new time for our church. Um, I've always wanted to do this, um, but this obviously depends on a number of things. I want to introduce a, a Q and A section just for about ten minutes. Um, you don't have to have a question. But if you do, um, what we'll do is that we'll, we'll, we'll do a review, and then we'll do questions and answers. I think that's very appropriate in the house of God to, to ask questions. Um, and um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about, you know, so, some things. Um, you know, asking questions is a good indicator that, um, th that there is an appetite for learning. You know, look at, look at Luke 2.46. I just want to encourage you. Questions are, are an indicator. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus was asking them questions. The lack of questions oftentimes can be an uh, indication of, of a, a lack of appetite for learning. It's just, it's just the way I found it. The more I'm 
interested in a subject, the more questions I have. Um, asking questions can also be an, a good indicator that God wants to actually reveal, is about to reveal something to you. So when you start to ask questions, don't dismiss the question because the question, sometimes we, we, sometimes we just have, I think we may have a negative view of what a question is, but a question can actually be an indicator that light is about to come. Does that make sense? Why did, why did that question, did you ever ask yourself, why did I ask this question? Where did this come from? I'm, I'm asking that all the time. I'm like, okay, where did this come from? But now I'm realizing the Lord is putting these questions. And then what happens is that light comes afterwards. Let me give you a perfect example. This is, um, this is found in um, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. So when you ask a question, don't, don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't, because, again, it could be an indicator that you have an, that, that learning. And then the other thing is that light is about to come. You, 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 God wants us. And you might say, why did he do it that way? I could get into the whole topic. I think it has to do with humility. It has to do something with humility. There's something about humility in it. But I won't talk about that. And when, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Did they, did they know, was it, given to, was it given to the disciples to know the secrets of the kingdom the day before? Two weeks ago, two weeks from this event, was it given to, was it, was it given to them to know the secrets of the kingdom two weeks before this moment? What do you guys think? Trick question? Was it, what, you know, it, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Is it now, is it this moment, or is it I even five, five weeks before this time, what, 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 was, was it? It was kind of before the foundations of the world. <laughs> before the foundations of the world, it had been given to them to know the secrets of the kingdom. Before they were even born. It had already been given to know. Amen? So always remember that, you know. To you, Jesus could have easily, since before the foundations of the world, it has been given for you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But when does Jesus tell them this at this point? What preceded Jesus telling them this? They asked the question. It's amazing how questions can be a, a, a marker. Questions can trigger, hey, Jesus, man, what, what, what does this parable mean? Ah, I've got something to tell you. Was Jesus waiting for them to ask the question? You better believe it. He would not tell them anything until they came and asked him a question. So get, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to just, Trust God, his leading. It's amazing how he waits for us, and yet he's in total control. And you will ask at the right time, but he does wait. He waits for the proper moment, and they come to him, Master, yes, disciple. And I know Jesus already knows. Ah, I, I've, been hold, I've been waiting all day long to tell you this. Tell me, tell me, my children. What does this parable mean? Yes. Yes. Can I tell you something? 
says the foundations of the world were given for you to know them. If you know, you will be given to know all the secrets of the kingdom of God. <laughs> but they asked the question. Amen? So, um, so, so, so ask good questions. I want to encourage that. But, you know, also sometimes asking questions can be a cloak for malice too. Just be aware of that. And, you know, it's good to be aware because the Bible says oftentimes in churches, there's the weed and the, the tares, the wheat and the tares are together. And there's activity of, of Satan that comes to disrupt the work of God. And so we just have to live with that. That there's not everyone has the good intentions. And so we have to realize sometimes when people ask questions, you should be aware of this. Because you might face this yourself too. Some people that will come to you asking questions. And if you're not discerning, you may fall for their trap because they did not intend to ask you the question to gain knowledge. And so just be discerning, be discerning because we need to, you know, as we, as we allow for questions and answers, be discerning, be discerning. Look at Matthew 22, 15 and 18. Matthew 22, 15 and 18. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And, um, and so how, how, did they, how did they go about to try and entangle him in his words? They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, um, we know that you are true. Get that? Flattery. Flattery. Be careful with flattery. Flattery is oftentimes um, oh, that, a weapon of the enemy. We know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by, you know, most will be like, oh, praise, be glory to God. <laughs> we just sink right into, into that flattery in, in a hypocritical way, glory to God, but we, but we mean it for ourselves. You ever, see, you, ever see, you ever see people do that? Well, praise the Lord, yeah, but thank you. I needed that. All right? A heart is deceitfully wicked above everything. <laughs> I've done it a thousand times. So have you. Right? So we, we, we can easily, right? We know that you are true, but Jesus, learn from Jesus. Let's look, look, well, let's see what happens here in verse 17. He's, uh, you know, tell us then, what, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, that's a wonderful question, don't you think, you, my dear Pharisees? But finally, you got a humble, a humble question. All, I've been wrestling with you for all these weeks, and thank you for bringing that question. You, you just, I think I, I have hope in you. I, I, I see a little light. <laughs> Verse 18. <laughs> Jesus aware of their malice. <laughs> malicia. You know what malicia is? Evil intent. Why you put me to the test, you hypocrite? Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, so, so sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, be, let's be aware. Sometimes questions can be. Here, here's, some, here's some guidelines um, to, make most of, to make most of the time. I want, I want to live like, again, today's more like a, just a, a laying from groundwork, and then I'm going to have you ask some questions, and then we'll take it from there. To make the most of the time, we're going to allow for one or two questions, right, one or two questions. And try to think through this. Um, no comments will be allowed, right? You know, you know, not that I'm not interested in your comments, but I'm just trying to make the most of the time. So the comment says, hey, did you know that Pharaoh lived for 455 years? 
all right. <laughs> but, you know, so um, questions. Um, what did you say, Terry? <laughs> How long is the China? Questions must be directly related to the topic, not indirectly. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the king of indirect. Uh, you, know, you can make fun of me. That's okay. I, I, I can take it, yeah. But directly related to the topic. So if I'm talking about apples, the question should be about not bananas, not agriculture in general. <laughs> not fruits. <laughs> as much as possible. Use your use your wisdom. Just try to discern. Let you know. Let your questions be directly related to the topic as much as possible. Um, and then ask questions primarily for clarification. I was unclear about that. What you just said. What did you mean? Um, that would be a good. That that's good. That that everybody helps. Maybe not just that one person, but you. Other people really, really, oh, okay, that's good, because language is tricky. Believe me, I have a lot of respect for language, and, and communication is not an easy thing. So there, there are things that we can, um, I want to give you some principles. I may not do that today, but I, want, I do want to take some time for questions. If you have them, if you don't have them, we'll do the, we'll, we'll, I'll give you these nine principles quickly, and then we'll quit. But any questions from last week? Any questions that we, yeah. Depends, you know, depends. some things are like, you know, um, if, if it's something that um, a person disagrees, I would say let's take that um, and, and we can talk privately. Okay, that way, that way. Okay, like g give me the example. Let's. No, that's 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 a fair question. I think I think I did mention that last week that that the issue of spiritualness had to do with maturity. That really that's the best way because remember I said last week if you're born again you are spiritual. A spiritual that spirituality that spirituality matures. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 fair. The other thing I would say is grammatically, 
So we, 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 we lean heavily on what, this word, what the word says. So if Paul uses the word spiritual in the Greek, I'm, I'm going to lean on that. I may nuance it, but I want to be careful how I nuance it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to bring in because I'm, he picked that word inspired by the spirit, and I, w- I want to respect that. I can't say, Paul, you know, you should have used a better word. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, by the way, Kelly, let me, let me, um, let me, um, <laughs> this is actually a nice, just a nice thing, you know, that we, that was re- made us very proud of her. Every single page here is, is uh, complete coverage. Isn't it beautiful? Yes, tic-tac-toe. Yeah. So we we had told the kids a couple of years ago, get a notebook and write notes on the messages. And she completely filled me. Isn't that wonderful? Is that wonderful? I was so proud of her. I was just like, wow, that's really, I didn't think anybody would listen to me. <laughs> But, um, and Alexander was a real big help with this, trying to coordinate and making sure you guys had uh, notebooks and all that. So thanks, Alexander, for doing that. Really, I think it was, might have been your idea, actually. Yeah. Give them notebooks and let, let them write. And um, so, yeah, so this is, this is just an encouragement to, to me that um, she, um, but Kelly, what's your question? That I, that I threw I threw it. Yeah, go ahead. No, he was he was addressing that particular church. There were people that were spiritual, but that in that particular church, he's speaking broadly to the people. Now, even in that church, I'm sure there were people that were mature, but as a whole, as a whole, um, they did not exhibit maturity as a whole. But that does not mean that they didn't have not a single spiritual person. Because sometimes we just look at them all like, you know, that, that's how oftentimes the Bible refers, you know, it doesn't exclude others. So in that church, I'm sure there were spiritual persons, but probably not as many as Paul expected. Good. Any other questions? Again, you don't have to have a question, but the questions are good. They can have it. They can, again, you know, it, these are the kinds of things you have to question. The reason why I didn't do questions at the time because if, if there's not an appetite for learning, which I think appetite for learning is very hard to acquire. One question is good enough. <laughs> um, if there's not an appetite for learning, what was that? Oh, the whole, that, I took one, two. <laughs> Not one to two coin per person. <laughs> yeah, that's clarification. I need to clarify that. <laughs> but, you know, if there's not an appetite for learning, which in America, it, there really is no, very little appetite for learning, um, you got to have an appetite for learning. Questions are good when they're, you know, you can't make it up. So, um, all right, let me, um, 
I'm going to go through these principles quickly, um, and then we'll end here. Something, something to think about for questions. Something for, to think about for questions, right? You know, if, if, if you have, a lot of people don't have an appetite for learning. A lot of people are not hungry for the word of God. I mean, do you know you can come to church for 20 years and not really be hungry? You need to know that that there, you can you can list you can exist and that you can just come to church and it just does there's not the level of interest in the things of God and trust me out of that heart no questions will arise so it, it's something that we have to be constantly um, cultivating going to the Word of God you know disciplining ourselves right to maintain with God's grace and help a hunger for the things of God because by nature and before you know it the way we roll. By nature, it's easy to drift, and before you know it, it's been a week. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But you know, it's okay. You know, it's like, you know, you know, it's okay. You know, God has to do the work. Amen. And so we, we have to trust God for the work. But um, but spiritual hunger for the Word of God, um, the Word of God should be you know, the joy, should be a delight. Uh, going to the Bible, uh, I just want to encourage you. The Bible is such a wonderful. First of all, don't force it. Don't force questions. Let the questions come to you. Abby, I think I got point one. Don't go looking for questions. Oh, he said he wants questions. What should I ask? Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, let the questions come to you. Don't look for a question because it'll come out. I could tell a question sometimes if there's real thought or if it's just thrown out there. So don't listen carefully. Good questions require listening carefully. Not distracted. If you're distracted and a you know, person's talking, you're looking at your watch and looking at his iPhone, it, the concepts are not, will not form hard. You'll have loosely connected concepts with gaps. So got to listen carefully. Um, by nature, language is limited. Um, so be aware of your presuppositions. Be aware of them. These are the things that you assume to be true. That you just take it for granted. It's amazing how much misunderstanding comes because of wrong presuppositions. You think one thing, you just assume it, and then that colors the way you understand things. You know, look, Luke eight eighteen. Jesus says, "Take then, take care then, how you hear, how how you hear, the man in you, take take care how you hear." Uh, to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Um, so um, some examples of presuppositions, you know, um, this one I thought about, um, presuppositions concerning God's kindness. Look at Romans 2.4, Romans 2.4. Um, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? It's amazing how that one could be can hinder us because it informs, you know, and, and you're not really hearing. Um, beware of pet doctrines. Beware of pet doctrines. You know, these, these are things that, um, that you love to gravitate to. We all have them. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You have a pet doctrine to something. It's okay to have pet doctrines. <laughs> it's just when we release that pet into everything that we do, <laughs> and into every conversation, and, and, that, and that the pet is barking everywhere we go. <laughs> you know what I'm 
just to say, no, just, just um, you know, it's okay to have a pet doctrine. It's okay to have things that, 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 that you know, you, you tend to, like, you know, appreciate, you know, everyone is different. It's fine. Totally fine. The problem is when we, everything in the Bible is colored by our pet doctrines, you know. You've got to be careful um, that we tend to bend. We tend to bend, you know. And, and these things are very hard for all of us, even me. The more you know the Bible, the more it's easy to get a pet doctrine, right? So these are things that we just have to sometimes take a step back. Am I reading this the way, you know, the way it was supposed to have been read? Um, you know, um, the, you know, so, you know, like I said, pet doctrine, there's many, pet, what are some examples of pet doctrines? <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, it could. I mean, it would have to be pretty Right. What would be a, what would be an example of a pet doctrine? Is that a pet doctrine? What was that? Right. Right. I was thinking more. That's a good doctrine. I was thinking more stuff that that are more like majoring on the minors. Yeah, that could be, right? Yeah, you, you could so emphasize that that you don't really require any any kind of holy living. Right? Yeah. Right, yep. 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 That, that, that's, that, that could be one. That would fall under, like, the love of God. Yeah, some people can use the love of God to try to describe everything, but it's, it, you just can't do that. Uh, and, and so you can, you can run into an era where you're not taking into consideration the holiness and the fear of the Lord, and it just overrides. You know, it, it, can, it can muddy the waters. And it's a, so these things are, have to be held in tension. You know, the last days, yeah. Most of the time, we're not aware of them, by the way. That's the reality. Um, yeah, when you become, you, when you start to, you know, yeah, I think most of the time we're not aware of these things, how they can infiltrate all that we do. <laughs> Forgive us all, because we, we all can be uh, unaware of these pet doctrines. Um, be careful how you draw from your own experience. You know, you know, you know, be careful how you draw from your own experience, because, you know, you experiences are good, so that's not to be denied. 
but you just have to have wisdom on how, how do you draw from your experience to understand something. Your experiences do inform understanding to some extent. That's just the way God made us. We are people who experience things. We have things that we go through, and they shape us. Um, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So your experiences can be a stumbling block to understanding the ways of God. So sometimes questions come up with, um, they, they seem to presuppose a certain way that God acts when the question is totally wrong. Because they're just assuming, maybe because of their, their experiences. Um, you know, so, you know, our, our experiences do shape our understanding and how we hear. So be, be careful with that. Now, all these things, again, don't, don't be overwhelmed. Okay, I got nine things I got to say. Okay, one minute. <laughs> say it again. Don't, don't bear the burden of, like, trying to. These are just, like, guidelines. The Spirit of God gives us wisdom, and we don't have to, like, okay. He just said one sentence. I've been, I've been on that stuck on the first sentence. Yeah, and my, and my you know. Don't, you know, just, this is just some, um, you know, things to help you. Um, think spiritually. Yeah. right exactly mm -hmm. you have to think about your experience you have to pray about your experiences what did you go through what does it mean it's amazing how people don't don't think self-consciously about okay i just went through x what does that mean that i went through x a lot of people don't people don't want to go there especially with bad experiences i've, no, I've known i said what is god telling me you got into a crash you got fired uh, divorced right not saying anything, right? Um, it's good to go to God, and th that shows you that you have a relationship with God, because it allows you to take your your disappointments, your failures, your, all that, and, and you bring it to the light and say, "Lord, you know." So yeah, so experiences are good. Evaluate your experiences. Think spiritually. This one requires a little bit of maturity. Think spiritually. A lot of people get caught in the natural too many times. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand it because they are spiritually discerned. Truth is fundamentally spiritual in its quality and nature. Spiritual. A lot of people get confused with that. It's like, well, can you bring it down to earth? You know what I'm saying? There is an earthly manifestation. There's application of that truth. On, the, on an earthly level, sure, but its essence is spiritual because Jesus is true, right? And he's a life-giving spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 15. The first man was a, a living soul, but the second Adam is a life-giving spirit. And those that worship God must worship God in and in truth. So you have to think spiritually, and unfortunately, we live in the natural 
and all of our senses are like an octopus on this level. <laughs> We're like this. Like, make it, give it to me straight, Pastor. You know, help. But you got to disconnect the octopus sometimes from the, from the natural and allow the Spirit of God to, re, to renew your mind and, and to elevate right, truth to the sphere, to the level of where they really do exist, and that is in the spiritual realm. Now, that's a little harder. Requires, that requires some work with Christ and really growing in the Holy Spirit, growing in God, growing, right? It does require so that, so that I, I'm sometimes speaking, and I'm saying, oh, God, I'm speaking spiritually. I wonder how many are grasping it. You know, because I, it, I understand that it's spiritual. Now, there is ma manifestation. There's, a, there's an expression of that spiritual truth in the natural. There is. But you're not going to acquire it through the natural. You're going to acquire it through the spiritual. Um, what, are, what, are, what is a classic example of some examples of failing to think spiritually? Sabbath. Sabbath is a great example. What is the Sabbath? Is it the day after Friday? No. What is the Sabbath? What is it? The day after Friday? <laughs> right? So, so Sabbath is the rest of God in Christ Jesus. You know, so, so, so gotta, you got to get out of like, it's, it's 5 o'clock on Friday. If you want to take it easy and chill out, that's totally fine. But don't reduce the Sabbath the day after Friday. The Sabbath is a magnificent reality in Christ. Amen? And, and so Sabbath, and when did the Sabbath begin? Yep, but in the New Testament. You know, I love, I love in John 21, that beautiful picture. I, mean, I remember reading it years ago, and I started just weeping. Jesus went into the tomb. They closed the tomb. Now begins the Sabbath. <laughs> Jesus, when he died, he accomplished everything. When he said, it is what? What did God do on, on the sixth day? He completed all his works, right? Isn't that beautiful? It is finished. Beautiful. Sabbath. Think corporately. Think spiritually. Think corporately. Not individually. Um, not first, first, first Thessalonians 4.9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no, no need for anyone to write, for you yourselves have been taught, you, all of you have been taught by God to love one another. Um, there's a lot of confusion that comes from the prism of self-centeredness, right? Self-centeredness. We, we interpret everything from, through the prism of self. Me. Me. What are you saying about me? Is it me? Ah, no. It, and it, it's like me. We have to learn to get out of that. Us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Right? When we, when we, when we get out of the prism of me, me, self, and think corporately, to have the same desire for yourself that you have for your brother. Not to have, oh no, I, I really want this. I, I, I want you to have revival too, but, um, but me, but especially me. <laughs> so let, let's think corporately. Let's think, you know, um, in, in, in questions, sometimes people get confused because they're, they're, in, they're, they're turning things into uh, personal sanctification, which is okay. Nothing wrong with that. But the ultimate goal of true instruction is not personal sanctification, but corporate love. Does that make sense? First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge, the, the goal of our instruction is what? Love. That's a corporate reality. That's a, love is corporate. Love is, you can't, love is, there isn't one. Love requires two or more, right? Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and seal faith. That's the aim. The aim is corporate love. That's the aim. You can try and sanctify yourself, but if you don't have corporate love as the goal of everything that you're learning, we're learning in order that we might love each other more so that God may be glorified, right? So, so I want to be pure. I want to be holy so that I may love you. Does that make sense? I mean, so oftentimes we, keep, we make sanctification the goal. Look at 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So we need to have purified. We need to obey. No doubt there is a, there is a compelling work of the Spirit to help us obey. Oh, your obedience to for what? For what? For a sincere what? Brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So please uh, make this, even in 2021, in all your journey with God, in all your desires to grow, in all your appetite, make corporate love the aim. Right? Make, make that, as Paul said, the aim of our instruction is love, to love one another. What good is it that we are praying Reading our Bibles, man, we are, we're, we're dying to the flesh. Um, man, we, we are beautiful, but we don't love one another. You think God will be pleased? He will not be pleased. I don't care how much Bible study you go to. I don't care how much church you go to. I don't, know, I don't care how much you pray. At the end of the day, if we do not love each other, it's been all a sham. Amen? So we got to love each other. This is, this is what, you know, I keep telling you, it's the only commandment. The new commandment, love one another. All right, um, we're almost done. Beware of the tyranny of qualifications. This is a big one. The tyranny of qualifications. What do I mean by that? Well, what are qualifications? Qualifications are things that you introduce to modify what, something that you said, to adjust so I'm going to give $100, everybody, everybody just jumps up and down, and then I say, to everyone who has three years, I qualified my giving only to those who have, how many years? Three years. How many have three years yet? I can keep my 100 bucks, right? 
three ears. So, so qualifications are a killer when it comes to preaching and teaching. Qualifications are healthy and are very, very beneficial and at the same time can be very destructive. Very destructive. And I do believe that Satan tries to qualify. So, so let me give you some example. You know, quali sometimes qualifications can undercut what the Holy Spirit is trying to impress. I learned this actually, the Holy Spirit really um, showed me this in scripture because um, as I was preparing sermons years ago, um, I was, the question was, what do I say and what do I not say? And so the Lord really brought me, and he made it clear to me, just follow my example. And the Lord made that clear to me. Study how I speak to the people and then just follow my example. You don't have to make this up. You don't have to go to seminary to learn how to qualify. Read the scriptures. Read how I, how I taught and then follow my example and let no one deter you from that. So I decided to read the scriptures and started to read like what Jesus, how Jesus taught. Um, look, look, look at Luke 9.23, which is one of the first ones that I read. I'm like, ooh, okay. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What do we do in the 21st century? Can somebody explain? Yes, but only if, by the grace of God, Jesus does not say that. Jesus does not qualify. Do we know it's only by the grace of God? Yes. Jesus does not say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. But we know surely it's only by the grace of God, by the way. Um, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Because, but, but understand, folks, that it's only by the, by the grace of God that you can do this. Does he do that? That was very helpful for me. I was like, whoa, bingo, thank you, Lord. I want to I, I, I just follow your example. I don't care. If you tell me to say shumban shamban three times, I'll say shumban shamban. <laughs> Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. I just want to follow your example. And that, was so, that, that helped me so much. Because I could, I could put the stress on what he said, and I did, I did. The Holy Spirit said, you don't have to qualify that. Just speak. I'll qualify it for them. Does that make sense? That, that, that was very, so sometimes there are people that have to have everything qualified. We knew, we knew a, <laughs> a person that, God bless him, <laughs> had to have everything qualified. And I told him, I said, no, you cannot do that. Cannot qualify it. Speak what the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. Speak it boldly. Just because you don't qualify it does not mean that you're denying it. Does Jesus deny that we can only deny ourselves by the Spirit? Does Jesus deny that? No. But this is his word. And he knows that his word is power. And he knows that his word brings the, the necessary qualification. Amen. So you don't have to qualify everything. You don't have to be like, you know, and, um, you know, here's another one. 
Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Well, I don't, I don't really mean all, you know, um, right? <laughs> Do you wrestle with these things? Jesus is not qualified. Sell your possessions. Does he mean that right now we're all to get up and sell everything? No. Do I need to qualify that? No. So, so in other words, there is, that's why we need to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret truth. Don't, you know, now there are times when you will need to qualify. So I'll show you that. Here's another one. Let me show you one more. This, this is the, the big one. Um, this is um, Luke 14, 26. Look at Luke 14, 26. If anyone, does, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brother and sister, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus say you must do? What do you got to do for, to your mother and father? What do you got to do with your brothers and sisters? Does Jesus qualify that? Does he say, um, well, you know what I mean, disciples. Don't take this too, don't take this too far. You understand what I mean? What I really mean is that, you know, to, to, to love less. <laughs> does he, does, he doesn't explain it. He, doesn't, he, he just tells you, you got to hate your father and mother. That's kind of like, right? Yeah. That is very true. There are cults that can, because they don't qualify it, they could, they could drive someone crazy. Right? So there's danger on both sides of the fence. Right? So, so that, that's, that, 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 right. So we, we, we could take the counsel of the scripture and say, okay, you know, probably a good, a good, It's always in comparison to him. Our love to Christ, our allegiance to Christ is like so superior that it's, it is like really like hate compared to everybody else. That's really what that the essence. It's not telling you because the same God says, honor your father and mother. Right? So he's not, you know, but at the same time, Jesus does not, does not qualify it. And that was very helpful for me as a young, as a young man. I think like, okay. I can, I, can, um, I can just follow his example and say, okay, and, and be true. Now, there are times when you do need to qualify. You do need to qualify things. Um, Romans 8.28, perfect example. So the, it's, the issue is never qualify, and the issue is, is never um, don't you know, uh, qualify all the time or don't qualify all the time. That's not the issue. The issue has got to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know, when to qualify, when not to qualify. Now, in general, if the scripture qualifies it, you should be qualifying it. Right? I, I think in general rule, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So all things work together for good, but he qualifies it. But for whom? For those who are called, for those who love God. 
So don't go say, hey, to your neighbor, hey, neighbor, we know that all things work together for good. You, you are, that's wrong. That's not true. Only for those who love God, all things work together. Right? So, so that's, a, that's a great, uh, Paul feels the need there to qualify that. He could have said, hey, we know that all things work together for good, you know. And he didn't have to qualify it. Honestly, he didn't have to because it's, it would be implicit that he means to those who belong to God. But in this case, he wanted to be explicit about what this promise is directed at. So qualifications, you don't always need. Now, if you have a question that requires qualification, then bring them. But just be aware that there's always going to be qualifications. I cannot cover them all. There's not, almost never do I speak the entire truth on one topic. I can't do it. There's just so many qualifiers. And then lastly, thank you for your patience. Lastly, be humble. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So um, as, we, as we think about questions, you know, we're going we're gonna to introduce this segment. If it goes well, we'll, we'll keep that. You know, we'll, we'll give an opportunity to ask questions after my review time. Think about, if you write them down if possible, write them down, clarify the question, make sure that you, you have a clear handle. And, um, and always, you can always come privately, obviously, we're a small church, so we can do it privately. But, but I thought that the question and answer are good for the corporate uh, mutual edification of everybody. So that's why we want to allow that time. And, um, and let's, let's grow together in the Lord. Let's, let's really, um, let's grow together. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for for just this time, it, it would be wonderful, Lord, if our church can enter a new season of corporate hunger and thirst for the word of God. It's a rare thing in our country, Lord, to have a corporate hunger. People typically do their own thing individually and very rarely include others in their devotion to you. But I pray that we would learn, Lord, the... Um, the value, that we will discern the body and really um, live in an awareness of this special place, special people that you have set apart and that, Lord, in this people, Lord, through the Spirit of Christ, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit, um, you, you give so much. Out of Zion, Lord, you send forth deliverance, the psalmist said. And I just pray that you would help us all to grow in our Bible reading with questions, that you would increase our understanding and knowledge, and that you would be glorified in all that we say and do, Lord, that, that it would be, that these moments would be moments where we can grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we ask you for your blessing, Lord, as we go home. May your grace um, just go before us. May you fill our, Lord, our afternoon with joys and songs of deliverance. And may we, uh, Lord, just um, think and meditate on these things, Lord, for, for that we, so that we might be able to grow and, and increase in our ability to love each other. And so thank you for this, this morning, this afternoon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. And uh, don't forget tonight we have our, good, uh, our worship lounge in the back. All right.